0: this thing with healing most of you know that know me well anyway you know that I've been following this for a long time and intensely studying it ever since my my first wife Leslie's mother ever since she died with complications of disease I have intensely studied healing you know where I keep returning to he's the healer he's the healer it's part of who he is And if he indwells me and he works through me, not only am I going to find a way to healing, he'll lead me in that path of righteousness. I'll find a way to it. But not only that, but, you know, if you're filled with all the fullness of God, and that's what the Bible says, bodily, think, ponder that for about 30 days, it'll change your life. But don't you think it's, if you're filled with all of that, that You're going to spring a leak from time to time and touch somebody else, and it seems to me it's either going to spill over or you're going to leak or something, but somebody's going to get to touch what you're touching every day if you become aware of that and begin to work with him in it i as I ponder the church there's a there's a big movement out there. Today, it's a part of it is not not a movement at all. It's just individuals. Part of it is an actual movement of moving away from a corporate meeting, and into uh, this. Say, well, I am the church. Yeah, that to some extent, that's true. Except you can never bring the church down in any of its connotations. You can never bring it down to you and Jesus having your own thing going. What it comes to is Jesus has got something going and he's saying, this is the way I'm going to work it. This is the way I'm going to build it. This is what I'm going to do. And now you've got a choice. You can get on board with it or you can be out there alone and be a loner if you want to. But if you're going to be a part of what I'm doing in the earth, you're going to become a part of a local body and you're going to be an expression in that local body of what part you have in the body. And when you start talking like that, all of a sudden there comes a responsibility And people aren't used to that. They're used to praying for something that's going to happen in the future or praying that something will happen now that happened in the past. And when all of a sudden they're faced with a now responsibility they forget that they're part of a body and they spin out. Aren't you glad consider your own body. Aren't you glad that your hand doesn't have the opportunity to get angry and walk away? I need it. But as I ponder the church and the fact that Christ is coming to His church. I don't see Him coming for a group of people that just dragging a hip and and, and limping into eternity and, oh, just made it. they come back for a glorious church Amen. without spot or wrinkle, washed yeah. in the blood of the Lamb. And I like to read that. It don't doesn't do any damage to it and it helps my thinking. I like to read it awash in the blood of the Lamb. It's, it's, it's all over me. I just, I just get in it and wallow in it and, and know that when God looks at me, if He first sees the blood, knowing that the price has been paid, because I don't know about you, but I, I'm just messed up enough that there needed to be a real price paid for me, and that continues to be paid. There's an ongoing cleansing property of the blood of Jesus we need to be aware of. That it's not just present, but it's future tense and past tense. He saved me. He is saving me. And he will save me. And it's all about that blood. The prophet looked in, I believe it's Zechariah, that looked into the future and he said, Oh my goodness, there was a fountain open right in the heavenlies, right in the throne room. There's a fountain of blood. <laughs> Hallelujah. That that's always a reminder before our Father of who we are. So... Some generation at some time is going to start to catch it and they're going to become that church that realizes that, no, it's not about seeing how close to the world I can get so I can draw them. It's not about seeing how religious I can be so I can impress the other religious around me. But it's about being this victorious people that walks forward together overcoming every obstacle until one day they wake up in his presence. No, not, not just in His presence, but in His eternal, manifest, wondrous presence. They wake up and see Him face to face. But you know what? That can happen incrementally as we go along. There's that time, those times when, when the presence of God becomes so real. It's as if you have your forehead against His forehead, and you're observing Him. You're breathing His breath. You're seeing His face. You realize that you are seeing the face of God. Now, last week and this week, our message is that, uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm putting out there, trying to whet your appetite because there is something so wonderful about understanding our true identity. And uh, I'm going to go into a series here soon about, and we're going to start at the very foundation that you need to start at to understand who you are in God. And we're going to start there, but we're not going to end there. But let me tell you where that starts. You need to identify as yourself as either male or female. And I know that both, most of us here do, but you're never going to get anywhere in God until you get that settled. And I don't care what the culture says. I don't care if, if the government looks at me and says, that's hate speech. No, it's not. That's love speech. And God says, let's start here. And let's let you understand exactly what it means to be male or female and let's move you on into the wonder of what I have in store for you as you become one in me. But the only place that crosses where you can become one is in Him. But these, that message, last week and the message this week is just to whet your appetite. But let me say some things. If you really want to get a vision of a victorious church. First, get immersed in Romans, and then go and get immersed in Ephesians. Ephesians is written when Paul was coming out of some times, and, and he, was, he was writing this primarily, I believe, for this young apostolic guy named Timothy. Who was, who was leading this group of people. And if you'll follow through Ephesians, you'll find there's very little rebuke in there because Paul is speaking toward a glorious church. And he's encouraging this maturing group of people and this young leader that this is what's possible for you. And consider Paul for a few minutes. I, we always want to be discipled by Christ. But I love being inspired by these other writers because they're, they're telling us this is how you live it out. This is, this is the way it works. And I, I just love considering Paul because this is a man that he, he came to God under a great load. He, he, he had been persecuting the church and even killing Christians. And now this God, this, this, this wondrous God had reached to him and saved him. He'd been persecuting and killing his people but the love still reached to him in a rather rough manner, but it reached to him. Speaking of a rough manner, Damon will be here next week in preaching. I forgot to say that. <laughs> Damon and I have fun with those things. But uh, Paul discovered early on not only the love of Christ but how the love of Christ works through the church because this man who was one of those that had been persecuting him was told by the spirit you go and you pray for Paul and he's going oh whoa 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 this guy's been killing Christians God said you go pray for him He's blind. He's going to see because of your prayer. And he did that. Paul experienced that. And there's something developed in Paul that was so strong that he got into his relationship with God to such an extent that he gave the rest of his life. Here's a man that that in his time could have been one of the most successful men around just simply because of his broad experience, but he gave the rest of his life laboring to build local church bodies, understanding that when there was a local body expression that the entire region would be affected by that local body, you hear me? I am so aware that the day we made the decision to try our best as a, as a fledgling group to buy this building and move into it, we changed the entire atmosphere around Kirksville. We joined together with other believers saying that this region we'll see the full expression of the body of Christ, not because we're the full expression, because we're part of the body, joining ourselves together with another part of the body and realizing that we have among us a local calling I have a local calling, although my calling has expanded to translocal, international, whatever. But the thing is, I still feel deeply connected, deeply responsible, deeply affected and loved and loving toward this body right here. Because it's part of what I'm connected to. And that means that as we develop teams and as we, as we have leadership rising up among us, that I need to be submitted to those and subjected to those. Hear me? One of these teams, leaders, makes a decision. Even if I think that decision is wrong, I need to let that play out so they can learn and realize that it's not personal, it's just business. Now, I'm going to leave that because I want to go on into what Paul was, how, how how it developed in Paul. But in the building of the local church, Paul became so close to God that he said, "I was caught up into the heavenly realm itself." You know, I don't know if it was in the body or if it was not in the body. I don't know, but I know that I saw things I can't even put words to, and I'm telling you. Church, I've been there. I've been in places in God that I was seeing things that I I know they're going to work out in the future, and they were so amazing. I I can't wrap teaching around it. I can't wrap words around it because it was a connection. It was an encounter with God Himself, and when you encounter Him, there's so so many. There are so many possibilities develop, and I'm telling you, it's not just about me feeling good. It's not just about me getting wobbly. It's not about me falling off my chair. Although all of those things might happen, it's about an encounter where I'm no longer aware on this earthly level, but I'm aware there's something so dramatic. Ahead for his church, and he's saying, Now I want you to stay in this presence because here's where we're going. Paul said, I can't put it in words, and he said, There's other things I saw that I can't talk about. It'd be illegal for me to even say it <laughs> in in god's realm in god's mind this I have no permission to talk about it. So it was in that time that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, to the church at Ephesus, the, the church at Galatia. And so when you begin to read in Ephesians, you see some amazing things, but one of the things that I'm going, where I'm going to go this morning is Ephesians chapter 3, verse, starting with verse 14, because Paul began to pray and I, for the church, and not for himself, and I want you to realize that he was praying a prophetic prayer. And what I mean by prophetic praying is you actually begin to pray the passion of God. You begin to pray the possibilities of God. You begin to pray what God is expecting to happen among his people and what he's offering his power for. Paul began to pray that. And he told the Ephesians, he said, this, this is why I bow my knee to my Father. This is why. So let's, let's look at verse 14 here. Or 14, 15, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father. Now understand this. When he says before the Father, he's no longer talking about Elohim at a distance. But he's talking about this personality that he expanded upon in Romans. I bow my knee before Abba. <laughs> this one that has gotten so deeply involved with his people that he's going to form their personalities, he's going to form their their experiences, he's going to form their future. Matter of fact, it's already been formed in his mind because he's got complete confidence in his power to bring it. And I'm telling you something, there will be a church generation that follows God this way. Now let me challenge you, will we be it because it's up to us? <laughs> Will we learn what it is to lay aside our personal preference? To lay aside that, that nonsense of, of whining and complaining and wanting my way and trying to find myself. I'm not trying to find myself. Jesus found me and brought me to Calvary. You understand that? He brought me to the cross a broken mess and say, I found you and this, who you, this is who you were. You're a mess. We're not going to exalt that. We're going to reform that because somewhere in all of that is who you were intended to be. You can't even see it, but stay with me. I'll get you there. There goes the self-esteem doctrine out the window. I couldn't catch it. But this church would get the revelation that God, all the way through the Word, really, will get the revelation that God is about encounter. It's not about doctrine, although doctrine is good. It, it, doctrine forms the channel in which we flow and run. It's not about principle. Oh my, don't we hate to hear that. Do I live by principle? You bet I do. Why? Because that principle has been established through encounter with God. Not because I have read the scripture and determined this is the principle, but because I've had an encounter with God where I look at scripture and I say, oh, that's the principle. You see the difference? Many people will live their life memorizing doctrinal uh, issues and and having a list of principles that they look and they feel pretty good about their religion because they're keeping these principles. But you know what? They're going into eternity on a gamble because what they're doing has never produced the glory of God. It's never produced the... the uh, extreme of the presence of God then it has only produced a proud religiously proud lifestyle I've memorized so many verses. I I repeat these verses every morning. When I'm sick, I repeat these verses on and on and on again, but they've had no encounter with the presence of God. Why? Because they've passed it by and prayed beyond it when he started talking to them instead of responding to it. And it's as simple as what happened to you. Will you realize God was talking to you or will you not? It's that simple. Or you can just go beyond it and say, well, maybe that was God but maybe we need to do maybe 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 no God spoke and if you will recognize that and recognize that as an encounter then you can look for the next encounter and realize that as you study his word to make sure what you're doing that there will be parameters that begin to be established simply because you are encountering God God I've never met anybody with great encounters that lived in great sin. Because in the the raw presence of God, sin kind of takes care of itself. As a matter of fact, sin don't like to be there. Not too long back, I had somebody say to me, uh, they had good intent, but they were saying, I've been praying a lot for you. I said, great. And they said, I just keep struggling with your demons. And I immediately said, I don't have no demons. If you're struggling with demons, they ain't mine. They don't like to hang around me. They're uncomfortable with me. And I promise that's always going to be the case, but I want to rectify that. Don't you be going to God and telling him I got demons because he'll rebuke you. Now, there's some surface every now and then and we just deal with them and go on. You understand? There's a little bit of difference when you've been in the presence of God. You know some things and you also respond to some things. Now... Let me challenge you in, in Bible study and, and in learning to pray. How many of you are still learning to pray? I am. I'm learning. <laughs> but go study the great prayers of the Bible. Go study that, those great men and great women that, that prayed and look at, look at what they say because particularly in Paul, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom... Every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. How many of the saints? All the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think according to the power that works within us. I think there's one more verse there, two or three more verses. To him be the glory in the church. To him... Be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. There's so much in that passage of Scripture, but let's talk about some of it. First of all, let me go back to the fact that Jesus is returning for a glorious church. Now, I would say this, and I readily admit that there are arguments out there, but I would say He's returning to a glorious church. Matter of fact, I would say that we experience His return incrementally often when we come face to face with His glory, with His expressed presence. That's Him. It's not just a feeling. It's not just an anointing, although it is an anointing. It's not just those things. It's Him. And Paul is saying, I bow my knee and pray about a glorious church. And I want to tell you something about me, that that's how I pray for you. And it brings out red-hot messages, uncomfortable messages. But it comes directly out of a confrontation that God has with me. And you'll find in conversation with me that I'm not much affected by people's worldly insecurities. Matter of fact, I have an expression for those that a lot of people dislike, and I don't know how to do it any better, but that expression is, that don't matter. I don't care how the world sees you. How does God see you? And when I see how he sees you, I see that He sees something glorious. I've said this before, but let me say it in this setting, that when God blesses, He brings Himself to our level. Now understand me, He don't bring Himself to our flaws, but He brings all that He is to our level and begins to look at us face to face. Why? Because He knows the power of His presence. And when we bless Him which the Bible's full of that, that we bless the Lord, we agree to rise up to what He's doing in us and that blesses Him. When you begin to engage and to realize I'm a son in the house, I'm a daughter in the house, I'm part of the body, I'm a little finger in the body of Christ, I'm a little toe in the body of Christ, I don't care what it is I am, but I am and He has put me here, He's planted me here, and we're going to go through the thing. And it's not about my earthly insecurities. It's about my security in Him. It's not about my significance in a service. It's about that I'm a significant part of a body. And when you begin to think like that, guess what? The glory of God begins to manifest on you and you become a glorious part of the church you become, you become one that's engaged in the glory and if you want to do a study on the glory look in the book of John or the gospel of John and you'll see that, that Jesus reflected I believe it's chapter 17 somewhere along there that he said the glory that I'm bringing them into the glory that I had with you before I started here and I've retained that glory. I've worked with that glory. And I'm bringing them. Now you say, well, that's the disciples. But he also said, in all that they will minister to, all that will come after. I'm bringing in, them in to that circle of glory. That, that circle of affirmation. That circle of understanding that they are sons and daughters in the kingdom. I'm bringing them into that. Now, Father, just as you and I are one, they and me are one, and we're all going to be in that circle of glorious affirmation of the family and the household of God. Sobering, isn't it? Challenging, yeah. But, but let it sink in. Verses 17, 18, and 19, I'll just refer back to those, but I, I, I want you to see that. I believe the Amplified Bible says in 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend. I'm, I'm not sure what it says, so I'm going to back off of that. Oh, verse 16 is where I was backing to. That He would grant you according to the riches and wonder of His glory. That's what I was backing up to. Now let's look at 17, 18, 19. Paul saying, I'm praying that you become rooted and grounded. Rooted in the kingdom, but understand that you're producing here on earth. Rooted and grounded into the knowledge of being part of the family that Father has determined He will produce. Abba. That, that you're a part of that. I, I want you to do that. Now, your identity is in love. The identity in that family is Love. By this you will know them by their verses memorized? Nope. By the prayers they pray? Nope. By their love, one for another. That love means that I engage in a walk of life that makes me want to bring Ashley to her place in God. And that means more to me than me being brought to my place in God. That when somebody is established as the leader of a team that I care more about Sandra's success in that than I do what my personal place in that team might be. That I don't care about the insecurities that this world system has built into me. Those are gone now because I'm not of this world. I'm in it. I'm not of it. I'm of the family and the household of God. That changes everything. That changes. If I'm going to have that identity, if I'm going to walk in that glory and that, that manifestation, I'm going to have the expectation of a good return out of each one of you and I'm going to invest what that takes knowing that somewhere in that I will become what God designed me to be. Now, that means that I become willing to do anything that... Helps us to work more effectively as a body. Anything. You look at the most effective, uh, I don't know how else to say it except senior leaders or whatever, the most effective ones. You'll see them walking around through a building, leaning over and picking up trash, looking, adjusting something, looking at something and saying, you know, we need to take care of that. Why? Because they're rooted and grounded. I I'm amazed. I I was at Gateway and I don't know if you're familiar with Gateway in Dallas, but I was there for a lot of classes for some years and and came to know loosely, not, not as a close friend, but came to know Robert Morris and to watch him work around. Now that that church is about thirty thousand people in all of its services. But i watch him walk through and he's picking up trash, he's Noticing a trash can that's overflowing and reaching and pushing it down and then making sure some janitorial person understands that that needs to be taken care of. Rooted and grounded, moving, acting like he's just one of the guys. And it's because he understands that he's part of a body. And when we begin to get that, it, it gets something. But this love, this love is not a theological doctrinal definition. This love is an encounter. When I encounter his love, that he loves me in spite of all the reasons I think he shouldn't, then I can love Mary in spite of all the reasons she thinks I shouldn't. Because I know that God's going to pull her more and more into who she is, and a lot of the difficulties is going to fall off as we go along. And I begin to realize, I begin to realize because of working like my father, I begin to realize what he means by it's a blessed person that that doesn't impute sin. Now, it's not that we embrace and absorb sin, but that we don't impute it. We We don't look at somebody's sin and say, well, God won't work with them because. No, we look at them and say, God's working with them. We'll see. That love's going to start to be expressed and there's going to be a power start to happen and it's going to begin to take place. All this is going to happen and we, we just know it. Now, back up to verse 16 just briefly, that He would grant you according to the rich treasury of His glory. The rich treasury. All of the riches, man, don't connect that to money, but everything that makes you wealthy, in the being in the glory of God, that he would grant you that place that manifest presence manifests through you to produce healthy families to help to produce uh, salvation deliverance healing to to understand that there is a way of health there's a way of righteousness there's a way of joy, and that I I say this often because it's part of my own personal discipline. that It doesn't really matter what I like. It's what I'm going to allow myself to do. Because I'm empowered by God to not allow myself if I'll take hold of that. And move ahead understanding that all of this is about walking in His kingdom and getting it more and more manifest in it. Now... Here's a statement I want to put out before you. If there is no encounter with manifest presence, you enter eternity not knowing if you have the truth. If there's no encounter with his manifest presence, you enter into eternity not knowing if you have the truth. That's one of the reasons I'm so so blessed by the way, the way that God begins to manifest himself in worship in this house. If it was just dead and dry ritual, then those that we had to bury would have no idea if their gamble was going to pay off. They would know all the scriptures. They would try their best to live by all the rules. But in the end, because they had not known a manifest Father, a manifest Abba, because if they have not known that, there's nothing to anchor them. Because we have this hope as an anchor of the soul that the Word, the fact that God breathes forth upon us first enters in and we go with it. And if we don't have that manifest knowledge of the Word of God, we don't, we don't know what happens. Now, I want to close with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And if you can get it up, fine. If not, that's fine. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humi- humility and gentleness and patience and showing forbearance to love one another. Let me talk to you about patience. Patience is that inner certainty that you would be in the flesh fully justified to react in anger, to react in offense, to react in whatever. But patience is demonstrating by refusing to do that. I will not be offended. I will not react in anger. I will not do this because I'm patient. And then it talks about Showing forbearance. And showing forbearance means that you have resolved that you're not going to act fleshly and you're holding pressure in that situation by not doing so. Now let me show you how that's godly. God knows he's never going to be ungodly. And that's why there's some things he just don't do. You can spend your life praying for some things and you'll never get them. Why? Because if he did it, he'd be less than God. But he knows if he'll just keep the pressure on, the pressure of his presence, the pressure of his holiness, the pressure of his, of his forbearance, if he'll just keep the pressure on, that we will change. Just like, I don't know if all of you have worked cattle before, but you'll get a lot more done with a bunch of cows by circling and applying pressure than you will by running in among them and yelling. And God just keeps the pressure on you, keeps the pressure on you, keeps the pressure on you by being there and by being who he is and this is showing us that he's going to develop a church that stays engaged with everything around them everywhere he's put you wherever you are right now if you prayed about your position and you're in this position guess what god's in it with you he put you there and he's anointing you to change that atmosphere you are the one And if you will live in that and understand that and keep applying that pressure, that you're going to live godly, period. And that if someone else decides not to, you're not going to to judge them, you're not going to hammer them, but they're going to have the pressure of your presence living righteously, whether they like it or not. They will kick, they will squirm, they will get angry, they will sometimes even, even get pugnacious, they'll do all of this kind of stuff. But you have decided that you're going to follow God. And that's how you develop character. And you're putting character against the life of sin and, and showing the present right there alongside it that will push them and push them and push you. Some people react constantly out of an angry spirit. When they do, it's probably because somebody in their life is loving them. Just keeping the pressure on. Not yelling at them in return. Not responding at them in anger. Just keeping on the pressure. Just keep moving. Keep, keep on living for God. Keep on saying that He's my Father. He's Abba. He's Abba. He, he's this amazing God that decided that He would form a family. And that that family would eventually be at a place where it would be a glorious, glorious family without spot or wrinkle washed in the blood. And that his son would draw that family to himself. And by the way, people that talk about being formed into the bride, they have part of that, right? But part of the word bride is, it, it involves family. It, it is, the bride becomes the head of the family. The, the one that takes care of the family. And that's why we are being formed into the bride of Christ because we're the ones that's being formed to grab this world and begin to see the foreworking of God, begin to see Him working out there ahead. And and we reach and we touch that and as uncomfortable, uncomfortable as it is, we put our life alongside that and just walk it out knowing, absolutely knowing that the way I live will have an effect on them eventually. It just will. And I'll tell you what, I've been, I'm not going to go long into this, but I've, <clears throat> I've been studying since 1992 about the men and the difficulty of masculinity among men in this nation and somewhat in the world. And that's starting to come together now, and that's going to be a part of the series that I'm preaching. But let me tell you something, man, it, it we have been taught in this nation to be peacekeepers. And God says we're to be peacemakers. Where no matter how uncomfortable it is, we begin to understand out of the presence what it is to live righteously. And we live it. And I'll tell you, a great part of what's wrong in this nation is that we have stopped affirming true manhood in our children. And we have stopped affirming true womanhood in our children and that affirmation comes from God. So God says, All right, I'll be a father to all of you. If you'll just respond to it, I'll start to bring all of you into that. And as we work together with Him, we'll become more and more of that which He, de- <coughs> which he designed us to be. You solve a lot of problems in your home if you won't be preachy and pushy and angry, but you'll just live righteous. You just live righteous you just live righteous and keep the pressure of a righteous life in your house you'll change your house you say well you don't know how my wife might respond to that yes I do but you need to do it and what I want to say following that would not be acceptable in this company but you just need to do it you just need to do it because it's part of manhood. And it's not a prideful thing. Because sometimes the world around you will take away everything you think you're doing that's successful. They'll accuse you of not doing this and of not doing that. And you need to respond like Paul told Timothy, the men around Timothy. He says, Don't, I want you to pray, not out of wrath and doubt. Not out of anger because they're not treating you right and doubt that you're changed. You need to respond as changed men and pray. And know the way of God and stand up in it. Because in that, you'll change your house. In that, you'll change your culture. And we need to get back to that. Is is there some responsibility on the female side? Absolutely. But I'm telling you that God placed men as first in responsibility. And until we stand up and accept that responsibility, we're not going to see any change. Thank you. Father, thank you for who you are. God, you're challenging us to the depth of our being and sometimes we don't even know it. God, as I say some of these things, I realize it's like time bombs. that It's planted in people's life and it'll explode next week or, or the next week or something and they'll begin to realize. But God, this is so important right now because you're creating a glorious, glorious church. This, this thing that Paul prayed for way back years and years and years ago, that, that prayer still hangs in the heavenlies. That prayer is still affecting. It rises up before you day after day, year after year, decade after decade. God, that prayer of a righteous man rises up. And God, I pray that you will cause us to begin to see that until we make an adjustment, nothing changes. It's not going to be a miracle out there somewhere that changes this culture, but it's going to be righteous men and women standing up and saying, no, we're going to live this way. And if that brings jail, imprisonment, if it brings death, I don't care what it brings, but God, as for me and my house, we'll serve you. Lord, I pray that you'll put that spirit in your church once again. Help us to realize that we are in this world, but we're designed to be of another world. And Lord, that in that world we'll see things that we can't put into words. We'll understand things that it's not yet time to teach. God, we'll know these things simply because we've been with you. God, help us. God, help us. Help us, help us, help us. Help us, God. Help us, God. Lord, help us to look at you and to reach for that. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.